0: Matthew chapter 12, man, I love to worship with you guys, what a joy, I really do, I pray that, but I really do look forward every week to what songs Stephen by the Holy Spirit has picked out, you know, because he just checks where we're going to be, make sure we're going to the next chapter, and then to come and worship with you, what a blessing to my heart, pretty easy to get up and preach after that but we're still going to pray for the Lord's help. Father, I pray that you would just fill me with your Holy Spirit, that your flock might be fed and challenged, Lord, and that those who are here that may not know you might be drawn by the gospel to yourself. And Lord, I pray that each one of us might be spirit-filled, that the word might have its way easily in our lives, that we might be found faithful in our generation. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 12. In chapter 11, we saw the rejection of the king's message. And here in chapter 12, we see the rejection of the works of the king. But I've entitled this message, The Mission of the King. I had a couple of things down there. I was going to go over here. Because Jesus has his heart laser focused on being faithful. The key passage is in uh, chapter 12, verse 19 through 21. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, a smoldering wick he will not uh, put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. I don't know about you. But I get distracted by the death of our nation. Our nation is dying right now. Yes, we've got a great economy, we've got a good military, but our nation is dying. And it's not global warming, it's sin that's killing us. And our leadership, like the leadership of Israel, has turned their back on God. And we are a unique nation. Our first president, George Washington, when he was inaugurated, following the inauguration, went down to a little Episcopal church, and them and himself and all the leaders of government dedicated our nation to God, invoking the blessings of God on our nation, but also the warning that if this nation should turn its back on its creator, that God would bring the curses on us. I don't know of any other nation besides the nation of Israel that's true of. And the Bible says, the wicked will be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And so when you're seeing the news and you hear these wicked decisions that are being made, it's easy to be discouraged. But this passage is so important because when surrounded by hate and wickedness, in spite of all that Jesus was doing, he kept his focus. He kept his focus. See, God has not required us to do anything but be faithful. That's what his requirement is. It's required in men and stewards that a man be found faithful. With your spiritual gift, in your time, in your place, what God has put in your hand, to be able to hear from Jesus one day, well done, faithful servant. That is the goal. In spite of everything that's going on, Because in spite of this wickedness and the darkness, there is still great opportunity for a huge and amazing harvest. But our job is to not be discouraged, but keep our eyes on the master. So he begins here in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Now, that was lawful. The law said that if you're traveling and you're going through an Israelite's field, that if it's grapes or whatever's growing, if it's wheat, you can take and eat what you have. You just don't get to take a Tupperware with you. You don't get to fill anything up. You just eat what you eat and you keep going. That was lawful. It's the provision that God had made for his people. And it was just one more recognition that everything belonged to God, the land, the harvest, the people, everything belonged to God. And so they're walking through and they're hungry. And so they simply just begin to take the grain. I don't know if we're around Laramie, if you know how you do this, because we just grow kids and cattle here. But in places where they actually grow things, one time we were taking a trip to uh, Illinois to visit grandparents and aunts and uncles, and Sam was just a little guy, probably four, three or four, and he woke up in Iowa We drove all night. Well, I like to do that because kids sleep at night, so we take off at night. And he woke up in Iowa, and he said, Mom, would you look at that huge garden? (laughs) He'd never recognized the huge cornfields they have in in the Midwest. You just take that grain, and you just rub the husk off, and you got something. Now, listen, for big, strong, hungry men, that'd be a tough way to eat. But they were getting something. And it's amazing to me that wherever they are, they're out in the middle of nowhere, A Pharisee pops up. Where'd he come from? They were just dogging Jesus. They hated him so much. They followed him everywhere. Just looking for anything they could find wrong because of their rebellious attitude. And they say, why are your disciples breaking the law by by harvesting on the Sabbath? You know... When the Pharisees began to build their culture, they really didn't know the word. What they wanted to do was, because they couldn't keep the law, just build their own laws. So even today when you talk to a faithful Jewish person, you say, well, have you ever read what the Bible means here? And they'll say, oh, well, no, 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 we, we, don't, we don't. We don't know what the Bible says. That's why we have rabbis. The Rabbis argue about things. You know what Jewish seminary is like? They take these laws, and one fellow sits on this side, and one fellow sits on this side, and they argue what that means. next day, you argue the opposite side. So they are attorneys, whatever side of the law you want to be, but they made up all these rules. I won't go through them, but John MacArthur, in his commentary, has a list of all these things just about the Sabbath. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. Another place, Jesus said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And this amazing law that God gave his people, everybody, even the servants or slaves of the Jewish people, got the Sabbath off. I used to think, well, the Sabbath, and that day when I was younger, well, that was just when you went to church, because that's what I did when I grew up on Sunday. We went to church. Well, Sunday's not the Sabbath. We worship on the first day of the week because that's the day the Lord rose from the dead. But the Sabbath was given for rest, just like God he was an example. He created the earth in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. Not because God needed a break, but because as an example, he knew that we needed rest. So the Sabbath wasn't primarily about going to synagogue, it was about resting. And so he said, I don't want you to work on the Sabbath day. So they said, What well, is work? And they have all these rules. Well, work was if you pick up this much weight, well, you can pick up half a fig twice. But you can only pick up one fig once. And you can travel this far. But if where you get where you're going, you're going to have a meal. Well, that makes your house that big so you can go that much further again. I think it's 3,000 steps. And just rule after rule after rule so that it, the law just became a shadow. And they ignored the purposes of God's law. You see, every seven years, God said, if you'll obey me, Everybody, not just the professors, gets a sabbatical. Every seven years, you get the whole year off. And he said, if you honor me, I'm going to give you enough on the sixth year that it will last for two years, because seventh, you're not going to work. But when you go back to work on the eighth year, then you got to have something left over from the sixth year to meet the needs of that eighth year. He said, I'll bless you. But what did that take in the heart of the the Jewish people? It took that they would trust God. You know what they did? They just ignored it because you and I think not 10 is more than 9. And we think that 7 is more than 6. And so when you bring the tithe to the Lord, you say, well, I think I'd be better with it than God will be. And so you just hold it back. That's what the Israelites did. You read the book of Malachi. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing pressed down, shaken together, and running over will I give into your bosom. But they said, no, 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 we've got the math figured. So we'll make our servants, and we will work all seven years. And they stole that rest from their people and from God. So what did God tell Daniel? You read the book of Daniel, and he says, I have appointed 70 weeks where I'm getting those rest, those rest years back. 70 weeks of years, so 480 years that ended Exactly when, or 483 weeks, that ended exactly when Jesus came into the, uh, Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. And he said, if you had only known on this your day. And they cheered him on, on Sunday, and they crucified him on Friday. But there's one more of those weeks left, and it's called the tribulation. And during that time of the tribulation, the great trouble, God is going to save his nation. The whole nation is going to turn to him. What an amazing, amazing story. But they didn't keep God's law. But here, instead of keeping the law, they just made up their own laws. And so Jesus said, Well, have you considered David? Oh, everybody loves David. David's the patriarch, David is the king consider what David did when he was escaping, when Saul was chasing him. And he came to where the tabernacle was, I believe there at Nob. And he says to the priest, hey, my guys are just famished here. Do you have anything? And the priest says, well, all I have is a showbread. And it was not lawful for anybody but the priest to eat that showbread once it was taken off the table of showbread. But he said, well, if the young men have kept themselves from women... (laughs) It's kind of funny. David looked around and said, well, there's no girls here. So yes. And so he gave them to eat. What was he pointing out? The Lord is pointing out that the Sabbath does not restrict deeds of necessity, does not restrict service to God, and it does not restrict acts of mercy. So he's going to tell us about the Sabbath. These guys needed to eat. And God cares about his people. That's why he created the Sabbath in the first place. So, people could rest. That, while they've been working all week, they have time with their family to rejoice over the blessings of God. Verse 6 But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Who's he talking about? Himself. I make the rules, I'm the one that established the law. And he says, Your attitude is wrong. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Oh, listen, that I hit home with us believers. We see lost people and we say, oh, they're so terrible. Look, they're living in sin. Yeah, they're lost. They're hooked on drugs. Yeah, they're lost. They're greedy and hateful. Yes, they are lost. And Jesus looked down in your awful and my awful sinful condition and he loved me anyway. He loved you anyway. Oh, this is so convicting. It's so easy to judge. and You don't have to say anything to anybody. You just see people going down the road and you go, oh. And we as believers listen to this and we say, oh, I need to have Jesus' love instead. You see... As humans, we think, as Christians, sometimes is a special place, the gift of criticism, you know, to tell where people went off a little bit this way. That's Phariseeism. That's not love. Does that mean we walk around with blinders and we don't see anything wrong? No, we see sin. But if we're motivated by compassion and not judgment, we can still love that sinner like Jesus does. Doesn't mean we ignore his sin. That's what's killing them. But we love them. And then Jesus says in the next verse, verse 8, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now with all the confusion and the lack of resolution, with all these other ordinances that have come from just the law of the Sabbath, like if you stretch a rope across the road and you've reached the end, then that rope extends your house so you can go across the road too. Silliness, how much you can lift, how far you can go. You know, they cover all the mirrors. Dr. Bookman's always telling us the Jew- Jewish family covers the mirrors in their home in case the lady of the house might have a gray hair and she plucks it out, which would be harvesting on the Sabbath. You say, Well, that's that's kind of ridiculous. That's how far it'd gone. And Jesus pointed out the error in Matthew chapter five, twenty, and he says, Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. What does that mean he's pointing to himself and what we sang, I need you every hour the verse that Steve put up before we sang that song he's our wisdom our righteousness he's he's everything to us he is our life not the works of the law John MacArthur said this legalism is the implacable enemy of grace even the mosaic law demanding as it was was a reflection of God's grace Because it was a means of guiding men towards Jesus Christ. It's about grace. Jesus goes on and he departed from there and he goes into the synagogue. He enters right into the snake pit. See, Jesus is not intimidated. And the amazing thing as you look at this passage about Jesus, as much hate and destruction as they pointed at him, He still loved them. So even when he confronts them, he says, hey, you generation of vipers, he's still loving them because he's trying to get them to wake up. He goes right to the snake put, and they're waiting for him. I don't know if they went and found this fellow or they knew he came regular to synagogue, but they asked Jesus a question because they want to trap him, and they said, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because they know what he's going to do. They're trying to build a case against him. And Jesus just replies with the law. Well, if you have a sheep that falls in a ditch or a pit, the law says it's lawful to pull that animal out. Now listen, do you think sheep are more than men? Or are, they, are there, Is your sheep worth more than human beings? Now this country, because we're upside down, we don't think so. Find out, kill a baby seal or a sea turtle, or just an egg. Destroy one of those of an eagle. See what kind of trouble you get in. But now we're deciding that. I think Hillary Clinton said that a baby really isn't a human until it leaves the hospital. We're a nation that screams and cries out for the destruction of its most innocent citizens. Why? Because Romans 1 we've turned our back on God, and God has given over to a reprobate mind, and we are dying the Pharisees were in the same place. And so Jesus simply says to the man, stretch out your hand, and he heals them. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as how they might destroy him. Not about the rules. It's about a relationship. And these guys prove they have no relationship with God or they recognize who Jesus was they would have seen that miracle and said, wow, I think we missed something here. Like Nicodemus, no man can do these things except God be with him. And they said, no, no, we don't care. You think if you have a logical, this is so many Christians are caught up in this. You get the logical argument, whether it's abortion or creation, if you could just explain that simply to somebody, oh, then they'll get saved. No, my friends, it's not your reason. It's not your logic. It is the grace of God. It's supernatural. So our first place to begin is not in your logic or reason, but in prayer on your knees, praying for your friends that are lost. And then seeking for God's opportunity, and then be ready always with an answer from Scripture to give when they ask about the hope that lies within you. With meekness and fear, the Pharisees went out and conspired to destroy him. But Jesus... And this is the, the heart of this whole message. But Jesus was not distracted. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him. Get this. He healed them all. Not like these charlatans today, you've got to go to their place and give a big offering. And people fight on and on the floor and they act stupid and they writhe around. Jesus went where the people were. And he healed them all. And he warned them not to tell who he was. Verse 17, here's the reason. You ever wonder why? Why did Jesus keep saying, don't tell anybody who did this to you? Well, here's the answer. This was fulfilled, was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets, A battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. The king was on a mission. His heart was steadfast about reaching every person and healing every person that God had put for him to do. Faithfulness. You know what a bruised reed is, haven't you? You've been walking around. And there's a bruised reed just kind of hanging over. He's like, break that baby off like that. Or you blow the candle out in your house and it's just kind of smoking and you go, Jesus was not distracted by the crowds, he was not distracted by those that planned to kill him, but he was focused on all those he had to minister to so he might finish his course. And he comes to John 17, the high priestly prayer. And he says, I have glorified your name, Father. Now glorify me with the glory I had before when I was with you. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Is that the desire of your heart? That's what the Apostle Paul could say. And he had extra time to say it in. I've run my race. I've finished my course. I have fought a good fight. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord himself will give to me on that day. Jesus finished. Well, we have all the things that we're filled up with, our career, the stuff we like to do, our sports, the thing that brings us fulfillment, our distractions. But will the Lord say, well done, because you finished in your time, in your place, what the Lord put in your hand to do. Verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. So the mute man both spoke and saw, and the crowds were amazed. The Greek word is existano, and it's not just, oh, wow, did you see that? It was like, Mind blown. Now, I don't know if this guy had just been there all the time because Jesus had done other things that you and I are like, well, you didn't see that. But this crowd, where he was at, were astonished. And they're saying, you know, is this the son of David? Is this the, one? Is this the Messiah? Oh, the Pharisee. Oh, no, 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 no. They cannot deny that miracles are being done. It's in their face. So they have to come up with an answer. And they've conspired and they've huddled together and they're wicked as they say, he does this by the power of Beelzebub. Yes, that's it. This is Satan's power. And so Jesus calls down his judgment on them. And knowing their thoughts, and I don't think it was, Dr. Bookman makes much of this, that he's not reading their thoughts because you can't read none of those thoughts, and he submitted, he submitted himself to the Lord to live like you and I live. So I think what it's saying there is you, he can see their thought progress. I see where you're going with this. So he meets them with the wisdom of heaven, and he says this. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. If I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God has come upon you, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house? Make a decision about me. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's not. And he put it in their face. Then he says, who is not with me, with me is against me. Who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit... It shall not be forgiven to him, either in this age or in the age to come. say, oh, hold it. There it is, the unforgivable sin. What is it? It's denying the words and the works of Jesus. They were there. They heard his words personally. They saw the effect. They saw the works, the miraculous works, and they said, no, that's Satan. They denied him. And Jesus was saying, hey, stop. Don't go any further with this thought. So you may be here today and say, well, Oh, I don't know. Have I gone too far? Here's the question. You're still breathing. And do you want to come to Christ? The Bible also says, I will not always strive with man. In the days of Noah, he said, I'll give him 120 years. And they rejected the preaching of Noah for 120 years. Now, I don't know what point in that preaching, those people listening said, man, we're not going to hear this guy anymore. And they didn't think about the fact that he was preaching judgment. It didn't bother him anymore. You're here preaching the gospel. And part of the gospel is flee the wrath to come. And at first you hear that. and you, Oh, I better do something about this. I'll think about that tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes. And pretty soon it doesn't bother you anymore. There's no fear of God before your eyes anymore. If you die in your sin, you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit because you've heard the gospel and you're rejected. And I don't know at what point in a man... They does not think about it anymore. I've, I've spoken to people that are dying. It's amazing to me. They got one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel, and you try to minister to them, and they, oh, I'm just so tired. It reminds me of those last verses in 1 John 5. Just to sleep in the arms of the wicked one. And the people, many of the people that work at hospice say, listen, don't, don't bother them about that. No, we don't want to wake them up. They're peaceful right now. But they're facing eternity in hell. Oh, no, no, just let them rest. But I've wondered myself about the people that are facing death. Won't that wake them up? Not unless the Holy Spirit wakes them up. Nope. Nope, they are satisfied. Jesus says in verse 33, either make the tree good with its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. Jesus is going about doing these wonderful works. That can't be from Satan because that's not his nature. Jesus said about Satan, he's a liar and a murderer. That's what he does. He does not help people. He only destroys what the Pharisees are doing. He goes on to say, listen, a good person brings out of the storehouse good things. A bad person bad things. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this wickedness or speaking comes from their heart. They're wicked. And you and I, brethren, ought to be convicted. When bitterness and criticism comes out, what do we do? We listen. We say, oh, Lord, that doesn't need to be a part of my life. When we get squeezed, what comes out? Bitterness and anger or love? Some of you may be struggling with this, and maybe it's because you have nothing there that can get squeezed that is grace to come out. So I give you permission to doubt your salvation. Make sure, as Peter said, your election in Christ. Because if the goodness of God is not what's growing in your life, desire for more of him. Peter says, go back and make sure. Are you just become nearsighted? Are you still blind and lost in your sin? Only you and God know that. But he says to these Pharisees, verse 37, by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees say, Teacher, show us a sign, a sign. The crowds were there everywhere he went. He said, just don't tell anybody so I can still get in the city, so I can go places and minister to all the people I need to minister to, to preach to all the people I need to preach, and they want a sign? And he says, no sign's going to be given you except for Jonah and the great fish and how he was buried in the fish for three days, and then he was spit out on the land. And one day, the men of Nineveh will rise up against this nation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and Jonah was the worst missionary ever remember the story he was a terrible missionary and he was so successful that he was awful he goes through the city repent judgments coming <laughs> repent I hate these people repent God's gonna judge Nineveh better repent I hate these people then he goes up on the hill 'Cause he doesn't want him to repent and waits for the fire to fall, so he can rejoice that all the Ninevites have died. And God sees his heart, this wicked prophet, and he sends up a little tree that gives him shade. No, Jonah liked that shade so much. And then God sent a worm to eat your story the tree and oh Jonah was so grieved and God says you're more grieved over a stupid plan than you are of all the cattle and the children and the people that would die if I bring my judgment they had a terrible preacher and you had Jesus he said the queen of the south will rise up with generation that the judgment will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and a greater than Solomon is here, and you missed him. Then he says in verse 43 from 45 about the unclean spirit. An unclean spirit goes out of a man, and he goes here and there, and then he comes back, and the man's life's all cleaned up. Jesus has been there in the land of Israel. He's healing every disease, and he's preaching the love of God and the gospel of the kingdom. And they reject him. And just like that man who then, the demon goes and gets more of his friends, that man's going to be seven times worse. That Israel's going to be seven times worse than it was because they had the blessing of God. They had the Messiah. And they rejected him. But is isn't in there. He ends, Matthew ends with an invitation because as he's teaching, some people from the crowd say, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are here and they want to speak to you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brethren? And he reaches out his hands to the disciple. He said, the ones that do the will of God, those are my mother, those are my brethren. You see, following Jesus isn't saying a prayer when you're little and living your life and then Jesus has to give you fire insurance when you die. That's never in the Bible. Jesus said, if you would come after me, Deny yourself. Why? Because you're bankrupt spiritually on your own. I don't care if you grew up in Sunday school. There's not enough righteousness to save you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Paul said he came in in Romans chapter 1, 5 to bring the gospel. The gospel. The discipline of the gospel. See, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The desire of a believer isn't to please himself. The desire of a believer is to please God. Father, we thank you for your word. How clear it is. In that generation, it seemed so obvious. This is the Messiah. Yet people even in church miss the work of God every day. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today that has not trusted you. They have not surrendered their life to you. And they've heard the gospel, Lord, today. Lord, draw them to yourself. And Lord, lift our heads as your children, that we might be like our Savior, not distracted by what's going on in the world and the darkness and the hate and the destruction. But Lord, we would be faithful, Lord, that we would see a harvest. And then we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.